What's going on? This is TJ Murphy and welcome to another episode of Adventurous Entrepreneurs. My guest today is Steve Sims. From laying bricks in East London to curating the world's most extraordinary experiences for elite clientele, meet Steve Sims. He's the visionary entrepreneur Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine dubbed the real life Wizard of Oz. With a best-selling book under his belts and keynotes delivered at esteemed institutions like Harvard and the Pentagon, Steve's journey is anything but ordinary. Yet, beyond the celebrity jams and private dinners at the foot of Michelangelo's David, as a man who values authenticity, results, and fearless truth-telling. As the founder of the world's premier luxury concierge service, Steve has transformed wishes into reality, whether it's a deep-sea dive to the Titanic or a rock session with legendary bands. But be warned, Steve is not your typical motivational guru. If you're ready for raw insights delivered with unparalleled passion, Steve's tales of grit, grandeur, and genuine connection are bound to inspire. So gear up for a transformative conversation that will challenge, captivate, and catalyze your own journey of intentionality and success. Just a few of the golden takeaways Steve shares in this episode are how to turn audacious ideas into reality the sycamore tree analogy and why it will help you foster more meaningful relationships, balancing ambition and well-being, and the power of setting stupidly ridiculous goals. So without further ado, this is me and Steve Sims. Welcome to the Adventurous Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, TJ Murphy. Since quitting my corporate nine to five and starting a business while backpacking through Asia back in early 2017, I've had the privilege of learning from some incredibly adventurous entrepreneurs. Through these conversations and my own journey, I've learned that much like in life, entrepreneurship is an adventure. On this podcast, I explore the journeys of top performing leaders in their fields. These wide ranging conversations include tactical business advice, how I built this insights, lessons in leadership, life hacks, travel stories, favorite hobbies, and insights into living a purposeful and joy-filled life. Adventures await us, so let's dive in. Hey, hey, Steve. Welcome to Adventurous Entrepreneurs. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited for the conversation. So some context for everyone listening. Steve and I were connected via a Facebook comment by a mutual friend. And I'll be honest, I did not know who you were before the introduction, but as I dug into your story and, and what you're doing to help people make leaps and bounds in their personal and professional lives, like seriously, ridiculously stupid growth and goal achievement, I was I was immediately intrigued. So let's dive into it if you're cool with that. Let's do it. All right, man. So from bricklaying in East London to yep. being the go-to man for the world's elite who wanted extraordinary experiences, like really out-of-the-box stuff, can you walk us through the pivotal moments in your journey early on, like what, what caused the shift and, and what did it feel like? Kicked out of school at 15. My father owned a construction firm along with his uncle, uh, along with his brother, I mean. Um, and so from the age of 15, I was on a building site. Yeah. And there's something about us entrepreneurs that, that doesn't kind of work well with others. Um, there's something in us that just goes, can we do this better? Or more importantly, is this what we should be doing? And even at the age of 15, living in an era where we didn't have Instagram to tell us how inadequate our lives were, <laughs> I just thought to myself, this can't be right. I'm getting up at five o'clock in the morning. I'm going to hell. I'm going home at eight o'clock at night. I'm, I'm covered in crap, rained on, pissed on, cut up, bruised, bashed. So I know I'm working hard, but 
this is it. You know, what the hell? And I remember going up to my granddad who was still working on a building site at the age of eight, uh, 80. And I remember wow. going up to him one day and going, Hey granddad, did you think you'd be doing this at your age? Now let's be serious. That's a very rude thing to, to ask an 80 year old. Uh, he didn't even look at me. And he said, he said these exact words. I will never forget them. He said, son, if you don't quit today, you'll be me tomorrow. <laughs> and that was it. I quit that day. And I went off on a journey to try and find what other things I could do to, let's be serious, at the time, make me rich. You see, as kids, we all want to be rich. You know, we when we hit our 40s and 50s, we want to be successful. We want to be satisfied. You know, the, the terminology changes. But yeah. when you're a kid, you want to be a millionaire. Yes, until sir. You, <laughs> and, until you become a millionaire and you go, shit, I'm still broke. You know, my kids are at private school. Yeah, because your life changes the more you earn. If you've got, if I gave anybody a million dollars and they lived in Manhattan and I said, hey, you'll never have to work again. They're like, are you kidding? I can't buy shit with a million dollars in Manhattan. So you're still broke. So, you know, I, I grew up yearning, incredibly curious, but I think my biggest trait that helped me was my aggravation. You see, People don't move to hope, but they move when they're aggravated or they're in pain. And I wanted to find out how it works. So I tried a loads of, loads of jobs, which were surrounded with money, stockbroking, security guard, limo driver, yacht charters, jet charters, all of your jewelry uh, um, salesperson, all of these jobs that were surrounded by affluent people. And of course, you know, for anyone that's not fortunate enough to be watching this and they're just listening to it, I don't look like Brad Pitt. So, you know, I'm 245 pound of ugly, you know, biker by <laughs> birth and will always be. I wasn't the quintessential look at me. This is how someone connected with affluence should look. So God built me to be big and ugly uh, and, and scary when I was younger. So I got jobs on the door. And I was working as a doorman with the job description, you know, punch that person if they get out of order. You know, that was it. But entrepreneurs, we're wired differently and we see things differently. Now, the other meatheads on the door, they just wanted to avoid as much blood off the shirt as they could and basically go on with the hot chick that night. Yeah, you know, that was that. That was that goal. Me, I wanted to find out how working on the door could better me. Excuse me. <coughs> just getting over a cold. Um, so I suddenly looked at the opportunity that I was given as a pedestal to look at human interaction, human psychology. How did people work? Body language. And I started being able to see how people acted with each other. And more importantly, how people with money acted and how people that pretended they had money acted. And we've all seen it. The oh, guy yeah. that's the guy that's got an Odomar PJ watch, but he's spanked out on all 10 credit cards, yes, you know? Sir. And the guy that's got 20, this just turned up with no watch, you know, that kind of stuff. So I started noticing that. Now, being a doorman, I knew where all the clubs were. I knew where all the bars were. I knew all the premieres, you know, and all these. And I used to start to go up to these people going, hey, are you going to that premiere on Friday? You know, you look like the kind of people that would. Ah, oh, no, we don't know how to get in. Well, let me make a phone call. Let me say, and I learned very early on that if I could become, this is very important. If I could become the solution to your problem, you didn't care what I looked and sounded like. 
So I realized if I let, and we've all heard it before, if you lead with value, if you lead with a benefit, you haven't got to ask. They ask you, hey, how yeah. can I make it happen? How can I sign up? <laughs> Bingo. So that's what I did. I really focused on trying because I knew I didn't have successful people around me. And that was a that was another thing that I learned very early on. I didn't want to find rich people. Rich people couldn't help me. It's like walking up to a lottery winner and asking them about financial advice. You know, they got nothing to give you. You know, buy a ticket and get lucky. But I needed to hang out with successful people. And there's not a single successful per- person I know that hasn't fucked up repeated. Excuse me, sorry. They haven't uh, messed up. Un- uncensored podcast. All right, okay. As much as you want. <laughs> they haven't screwed. They haven't failed many, many times. You know, and every yeah. successful person in the planet has screwed up, fucked up, gone bankrupt, got ripped off, got lied to, got sued to. They've got, they've had all of those things. But it's allowed them to become refined rather than defined by those mistakes. So I looked out for successful people. No longer was I looking out for rich people. I was now looking out for successful people. And I knew as ugly as I was and as bad at communicating as I was, which is hysterical because I get paid very handsomely to speak on stages about the art of communication. And the only reason I get to do it is because everyone else is so shit at it today. But I knew that if I could bring value to your doorstep, if I could be the solution to your problem, my branding, my look, my website, my lack of website, my lack of anything, education, big words, fancy accent, fancy suit, all of that shit would no longer relevant if I could be the sole solution to your problem. And I went out to quite simply surround myself with successful people and it ended up turning into the world's largest experiential concierge firm for billionaires. It's been written up all over the place. Uh, I sold it a few years back, so it's gone now. But the point was, I never wanted to be a concierge. I never wanted to be the Mr. Fix. In fact, Forbes called me the real-life Wizard of Oz when they did a, an eight-page expose on me, exposing me to the planet, which was actually not good for me because it was always better for me to be in, in the shadows. But the point was, I always had one goal in my mind, which I still have today, surround myself with successful people that will challenge and support and and inspire. And I did it in the past, and I just had to get you into a party in order to be able to get your attention. I would still charge you, but hey, that's what I was doing. But even today, I always make sure that I'm in the right room. Well, I love how it all started with just that slap in the face from from your granddad saying, you don't quit today. You're going to be looking in the mirror with the same experience when you're 80 years old. And from that point on, trying things and getting into different positions, different opportunities with the ultimate goal, like you just said, of surrounding yourself with successful people so that you could learn from them, but also be of value to them. Because when you can be of value to somebody that has that kind of success and wealth, obviously you can get that that rich life that you were looking for at that age. So I want to dig into the luxury concierge business for a second here. Sure. I'm, I'm just reading your list of, of experiences. It's it's quite impressive what you were able to pull off with your team. So I'm curious, what's the key ingredient to turning a seemingly wild idea, something that most people would say is impossible, like shutting down a museum in Florence for a, a private dinner party for six at the feet of Michelangelo's David, and ultimately turning that into a reality for, for that group of people. 
So we need to go back one more step. Um, most people, they shoot short. And yeah. so people don't actually tell you what their ultimate dream is. They give you some kind of version that maybe wouldn't make them sound so stupid or so amateur. It's, it's, it's dumb, you know? But I could say to you how tall you are, you'd give me an answer. What's your favorite brand of sneakers? You'd give me an answer. What's your ultimate fantasy? Now I'm getting into what makes you tick. And a lot of people go, oh, uh, I'd like to remove famine from the world where maybe your ultimate fantasy is to sing on stage with, with I don't know, Taylor Swift. Um, but you don't want to be judged. And in today's world, more than ever, and thanks to COVID, we're scared of being ju judged and ridiculed. Now, do you remember in the old days, people used to say, hey, what would you do today if you knew you couldn't fail? Well, that term has changed. Today, it scares you if I say to you, hey, what would you do today if you knew that no one would laugh at you? <laughs> We're in a world today of cancel culture and gotcha society where we want to stand out, but we stand out by first fitting in. Well, that's fucking ridiculous. Entrepreneurs, we were never meant to fit in. You know, we're, we're Hogwarts. We're weirdos. Those are the normies. But if you work it out, 80% of the normies in the planet work for 20% of entrepreneurs. And yeah. to be an entrepreneur, you've got to stand out and you've got to be creative. So people would come to us and they'd be like, oh, hey, um, I'd like uh, uh, front row seats to see uh, Elton John. Well, that's great for you. But how can we make this stupid? Yeah. And we would literally, and this is very important for you to make, to listen to that. How can we make this request stupid? We'll get into that in a second, but that's what we used to do. We literally used to get our requests. We would sit around a table and we'd go, okay, how can we make this stupid? And we would see how far we could take that request because they wouldn't dare or allow themselves to dream. You pulled up that, that uh, meal that I did, you know, the client came to us and said, Hey, I'm going to meet my fiance's mother and father. Never done it before, but I want to show them how connected and creative I am. I want an amazing dining experience in Florence. Mm -hmm. That was the request. Yeah. <laughs> now, I could have contacted... Simple on its face, and you yep. turned it into something one of a kind. I, I could have basically gone onto Open Table, picked the best restaurant in Florence, phoned up the restaurant, slipped them a thousand bucks, and said, hey, make sure the chef comes out brings them back into the kitchen and has them cook their own desserts. And that would have been a great experience. Okay. But how could we make that sit? Now I knew the guy and I'd worked with the guy many, many times. So I wanted to take it as far as I could. Now here's the key. You've been using the word impossible. You've already put a line in the sand. You've already given yourself an exit, you know? Well, I wanted to go to it, but what am I kidding? It's impossible. Everyone knows it's impossible. Why do that? Why start a journey by giving yourself a dead end or a flat tire? But here's the thing. If I say to you, hey, you got a dream? Yeah, I've got a dream. Let's make that possible. Let's smash through the impossible goal and make it possible. That's a real rigid kind of thing, isn't it? You know, I'm, I'm sounding like I'm a warrior about to go into, into battle where there's a high risk of me being stabbed and dying. But if I say to you, hey, look at your dream. I don't care if it's a relationship. I don't care if it's business, a passion, travel, whatever. If I say to you, hey, let's take your goal. Let's make it stupid. Now. The first thing that happens, and you're going to have to re-watch this video because I always watch the host's face when I mention that. 
the first thing that you did was your your um smile, your lips, they crapped up a little bit. Yeah, I felt that. All right. If I say to you, let's make this stupid, you become a five-year-old. Five-year-old doesn't know how to spell the word impossible. Anything's possible. Anything. Well, in Florence, let's uh, let's get a magic elephant to fly them down the street. That's how a five-year-old creates. So we went for it and we thought to ourselves, okay, how, how can we make this goal stupid? He wants an amazing dining experience. He didn't say restaurant. He said dining experience. So that takes the parameter of the four-wall restaurant. If someone said, hey, I want the top restaurant in New York, well, you're stuck with the restaurant, aren't you? But if mm-hmm. you say dining experience, hey, that could be anywhere. That could be Central Park. It could be up, you know, anywhere you like. Um, so we went, what is the only place in Florence that could not be replicated anywhere else? Now, if I sent you into the Afuzzi Gallery, you may not know where the Afuzzi Gallery is, but if I set up a meal around all of this amazing Renaissance art, for those that had never been to Florence, you may go, well, that that's Paris, isn't it? Oh, that's London, isn't it? That, that's New York. That's Boston. Because we've all got fantastic museums. But there's only one Michelangelo's David. Yeah. And it is the most famous statue in the planet. Statue of Liberty, Eiffel Tower. Michelangelo's David's been around further. Okay? So that is the most iconic statue in the world. What if we could actually get a dining experience at the feet of that at nine o'clock at night when it's a Thomas Crown experience where the whole museum is shut? It's just you. Let's try. Bang on. How could we make it really stupid? I don't, what about a, p- a piano and a string quartet so that when they walk in, they've got that performance going, that's good. That's yeah. brilliant. Well, hang on. How can we make that stupid? How can we take it further? I know. Why don't we have it that when they're walking in, to uh, eat that pasta, all of a sudden, Michelangelo, um, uh, Andrea Bocelli turns up and serenades them. Now, that was the goal. We didn't expect to get a yes from absolutely everything. We expect it, but we never, ever have a plan B. When you have a plan B, you suddenly go, well, I want this, but hey, I'm going to, realistically, I'm going for this. Yeah. We we go all out. We get into the ring with with one boxing glove on one hand and go, well, I, you know, let, I've only got a plan A. You know, if this doesn't work, then, then I'll waste my effort on a, on a, on a plan B. So we went in and we spoke to uh, the, the um, museum. They said, yes, that surprised us. We Seriously. spoke to the chef. They <laughs> said, yeah. what chef is not going to say is going to say no to actually cooking a meal in the, uh, the Academia, the Galleria spoke to a string quartet. They, we had string quartets contacting us as soon as they knew we were looking for string quartets. And then when we finally reached out to Andrea Bocelli was very unsure we were going to get a yes. But when we spoke to them, the way we communicate and we, we explained what we were trying to do, we got a yes as well. So it's amazing when you ask for what you want, you get it. But here's the dumb thing. Most people don't ask for what they want. They ask for what they feel they will receive. And that's the big difference. So you've got to start making your goals stupid. You've got to start making your thought process stupid. You've got to be willing to have laughable goals. If your goals and aspirations aren't laughable, they're not big enough. Then you've got to go for that. And that word that you mentioned, that's our Voldemort word. 
You know, that doesn't get a word up. that shall not be named. <laughs> shall never be mentioned. Why mention yep. it? You know, you 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 you're giving yourself a flat tire on your first lap. Don't even bring it up. I love it. You burn impossible. And when you can shoot for the moon with tenacity, with the the courage to ask for exactly whatever that stupid goal is, not what's feasible, but what is the most outlandish, the greatest place we could possibly take that. Even if you don't make it all the way to the moon, you're going to land amongst the stars and still have an amazing experience. We have, we have failed. So that one didn't. That one was yeah, a hard was... one. And that one surprised us. But we have done so many things with Elton John, Guns N' Roses, um, Tony Braxton, the rock band journey. Yeah, we had a client who wanted to meet the rock band journey backstage. He didn't want front row tickets. He actually wanted to go backstage and meet them. And again, we went, well, how can we make that stupid? We actually got him pulled up on stage live during the concert and he sang four tunes with them as their temporary lead singer of the rock band journey down in San Diego during a live concert. So we always took it further and further. Now, a lot of the times they've gone, oh no, he's not available. And we've had to create a plan B. But that plan B is always 4,000 miles further on than what the client would have ever settled for. And you need to be doing that in your business or your coaches need to be pushing you or your communities or those rooms that you're in need to be supporting you and challenging you. And they all need to be going, is that it? Is that really what you're going for? Is that as good as it can get? And they need to be pushing you to dream bigger. So given the the unique experiences, the stupid goals, pushing it to the furthest possible place, both in your personal life, but also creating these experiences, I'm curious, like, how do you personally define living life to the fullest? What, is, what does that mean to you? For me, living life to the fullest is living, living to smile. I yeah. believe life is about stories, memories, triggers, reactions. You know, like we all drive down the road and some tune will come on the radio and it'll take us back to when Nostalgia. we were eating pasta in Florence or when we were dancing with our first girlfriend or when we lost our job. And while it was a very, very sad moment, we got a brilliant one two days later. Isn't it funny how things are usually far, far, far superior after our darkest days? Mm -hmm. And so there's all of those times that I believe that life is for living. Uh, there was a saying that some uh, someone said to me a little while ago. It's actually been um, uh, given credit to Benjamin Franklin, but there's other people that contest that. Uh, most people die at the age of 25, but they wait until 75 to be buried. Now, me, I like to live every single day. You know, I, I, I collect motorcycles. I live up in the hills, very happily paid. Um, the bottom line of it is, I could stop stationary now and just enjoy that. Mm. Where's the challenge and the pursuit and the beauty in that? For me, I want to know what can I do in the next three to six months that's going to challenge me. A friend of mine, Joe Polish, said to me, the definition of hell is to meet the man or woman you could have been. Mm. And you can only do that quite simply by making mistakes. Mistakes come before success. If success happens straight away, that was a lucky strike, okay? But if you failed at something and then you learn from it and you 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 fix it, now you've got scalability and repetition. That's success. So as far as I'm concerned, success can, can only come after getting a punch in the nose. It can only come after that failure. So I want that. I yearn for As entrepreneurs, we're addicted to that. You know, we want to know, well, great, we're doing this now. 
How can we make it better? How can we push it? And for me, and it was one of the reasons I told you that I my book now is for free on video. Go for stupid.com. I want people to do things bigger and better. It doesn't benefit. It doesn't benefit me financial. There's no uh, after follow-up. There's no, you know, hey, buy my hair products. You know, yeah, no upsell any, at the end. Yeah, there's none of that shit. I'm 58 years old. And I want someone to dare to go for a stupid goal and then achieve it and see the impact it makes on their family, their relationships, their staff, their team, their clients, and their life. So I'm a great believer that life is for stories. And I I have this, um, you know, being, I suppose, open. I, I have always lived with this idea, okay? I know both me and you, we're going to die. You know, we know it's going to happen. And it's going to happen, and we all live with this concept that our life's going to flash in front of our eyes. I want my flash to be so long and intensive that there's a break for popcorn. That's what I want, you know? My my, my final moments go, oh, hang on a minute. You know, let's take a break, and then we'll continue. That's what I want. I love it. So everyone listening, there's our challenge. Go for stupid.com. Let's let's push it to the limit here. My challenge for myself this year was to run my first marathon. That turned out to to not be that hard. So all the last like few months since then, I've been thinking, all right, well, what about an ultra? Yeah. Or what, if I, what if I ran 100 miles like some of these freaks of nature are doing? It seems like a terrible road to go down from a pain and just sacrifice standpoint. But looking back a year from now, having done that, would be a pretty awesome feeling. So I think goforstupid.com will be my next plot place to go after this to get a little inspiration down a pursuit like that. So that, like you said, when we're old and wrinkled, it's all about the stories we can tell. You have yeah. to live in the moment. Now you have to design a life around what brings you joy, what pursuits matter, what's going to push you, the people that matter to you. If you wait around till you're retired to enjoy those things, you're not living it to the fullest. At least that's how I feel. So totally right. Congratulations on the marathon. I had my wife actually was sitting in the armchair one day and she said, uh, I used to enjoy running when I was a teenager. This was when she was like 30 something, uh, actually 40 something. And she turned around and she said, I used to like running when I was a teenager, but I haven't, I haven't run for, for, you know, decades now. And I always wanted to do a half marathon. And she just came out with that statement and then the following day, I saw an advert here in LA that they were doing the LA half marathon. So I signed her up. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> and I went, there you go. And she was like, oh, I went, you said it. And she went, yeah, I did. Let's go. And that yeah. was it. And well, I, I will never forget the look in her eyes when she went, yeah, I did. Let's go. And, you know, she came back sweaty and stinky and moaning and yeah. hurt this and this Rick got hurt. torn and fell over and that'd be fixed and her feet were swelling up and her shoes couldn't break in. But the joy that she had when she crossed that finish post and the following day, you know, and she did it. She did it. So I, I, I'm a great believer that you've, you've just life for living in any dress rehearsal, all of these kind of like, Oh, the, the, the next life is the real one. I'm not nah. willing to take that risk. No, nah, I want to enjoy it now. So I want to dig in, you know, in business, it, it is all about the people that you connect with at the end of the yeah. day. And your your clientele were able <laughs> you found that way to provide value and, and get in the room and be able to build those connections. So are there any other things that helped you be successful in that pursuit? How have you built and maintained 
such a vast network of of influencers and and powerful individuals. So there's many different answers to that. One of the reasons that I became so good at building relationships was the knowledge and actually imposter syndrome of what I looked like, sounded like, and how well-educated I was. Now, I believe I'm a very well-educated man now in my 50s, but I believe school had nothing to do with that. But, you know, 245 pound a biker trying to knock on the door and wanting to speak to the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or royalty in Asia, they're not going to open the doors to me, okay? So, because they're going to they're gonna look at me and they're going to judge the book by the cover. So I learned very early on that my power and strength was brevity. And it was mm. also the flip. You're looking at me and you're judging. You know, who is this guy? What can he do? What did, all of that kind of shit. I would come at you and I'd be like, hey, it's an absolute pleasure to meet you, man. What is your problem, though? You know, what do you need solved? If I could solve something for you in the next five minutes, what would it be? I got you looking at you. And as long as I could get you looking at you, you'd stop looking at me. Because quite simply, I was embarrassed. I remember early on in my life, I was like, I'm not going to get one of those website things. My God, no, I never want to see my... I I would avoid the press because I didn't want them seeing me. I didn't want them seeing me and clients, some of those that I only ever emailed or communicated by phone. I didn't want them seeing me going, well, hang on a minute. He's Some of my clients literally gave me access to their bank accounts where I would just wire what I needed. I didn't want them seeing me and them going, that guy's in our bank account. You know, I didn't (laughs) want that. I was terrified, but it became my strength. I was so strong on not branding and focusing on brevity, clarity, to the point of maybe sometimes maybe just being a bit too blunt but being impossible to misunderstand that I didn't realize I was actually branding myself. My brand was, was, was blunt clarity. I was giving you the knowledge in seconds for you to be able to make an educated decision as to whether or not you wanted me in your life in seconds. Now, today, we spend so much time focusing on a pretty social profile, making sure our pictures look good, making sure our bio is very articulate, making sure our website's got big words that we can't even say, let alone spell, that we're lying to our people. And we're giving them an artificial persona of who we are. And then they meet us, and shit, we've now got to live up to the persona that we've created. Fuck that. I drink, I ride motorcycles, I swear too much, and I'm really crap at telling jokes. Do you want to do business with me? I made it I made it very, very easy for people to make that decision. And in a world of everyone trying to be somebody else, I was very easy to be with. And that was one of the things that was actually happening. And that was one of my 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 super strengths. I realized that it was that. But once you've got that person, your question was, how do you keep grow and maintain those relationships? One of the games I play when I speak on stage, and I do a lot of speaking all over the planet, is I talk to them about the sycamore tree. I show them a picture of the largest tree in the planet. It's absolutely massive. Uh, So large, the sycamore tree, that they actually cut a hole in it for a bus to go through it. 
Okay, it's that tree. You've seen the pictures of it up in Yosemite National Park and stuff like that. And they're over 100 years and they're absolutely huge. And people have built roads through them. But the sycamore seed is smaller than a peanut. And what you've got to do with that sycamore seed is you've got to plant it in soil that can nurture it. You've got to water and feed that seed to the point that it wants to grow. And then when it does start to grow, you've got to protect it to make sure the cat doesn't piss on it or your dog doesn't chew it or your birds. So you've got to protect it and nurture it, still nurture it, but now you've got to protect it. And now that it suddenly starts to break through the soil, you've got to protect it and prune it. Get rid of all the waste on there. Make sure it's not cluttered up with shit that it doesn't need. Again, look after it. And then eventually it will get to a position when you haven't even got a water it anymore. Yeah. Nature takes over and everything's fine. That's a relationship. I'm amazed at how many people that go to like these seminars and every year they go to a seminar and they meet, say, hey, John, it's good to see you again. And I say to people, how many of you here haven't seen the person until last year? And they go, oh, yeah, that's us. Is that a friend or is that an acquaintance? It's not a relationship. You've got to put a lot of effort into the beginning of any relationship. It's like you seeing your high school buddies. You grew up with them. You did all your front end work. Now your relationship is now a sycamore. You don't have to see him for 20 minutes and you can bump him in, into the street and you're like, hey, John, Bill, TJ, Hayda. You've got that. But relationships need an immense amount of work at the beginning. And you've got to sink all the energy in. And they may not text you back. And rather than you getting pissy and going, oh, you didn't like my Facebook post, you've got to put the effort in and you've got to pursue it. And you've also selfishly got to ask yourself, is this a relationship that I want? Yeah. Is it going to nurture, strengthen, and benefit me? Selfishly. Yeah. Is this relationship going to benefit me? If it's a yes, how can I make sure that when TJ asks himself that question, he says yes as well? Because how many relationships do we know where people are like, hey, Steve, you know, I, I love what you're doing with a book. Can you tell me how to write a book? Hey, Steve, I know what you're doing speaking. Can you tell me how to get speaking gigs? Hey, Steve. By the third phone call, you're done. Yeah. But if the phone calls are like, hey, Steve, I see you're doing this. I just wondered, can I help you promote that? Oh, can I push that for you? Oh, can I can I work on that to make sure that's more positive? Can I take that off your plate so you how how more am I gonna be like, whoa, 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 hang on a minute? How can I help you? Yeah. And isn't that what the point of a relationship is? So people think a relationship is going to a networking event, grabbing your business card and sticking it in your Rolodex. No, that's not. That's not even seeding. You've got to put a lot of effort into it. But you've got to ask yourself, is this a relationship that you want to put the effort into it? Does it benefit me? And if they ask the same question, how can I make sure it benefits them? Yeah. So being selfish first, understanding yeah. that not every relationship is worth tending, but the ones that do pass that test, you got to treat that thing like a precious flower. You got to put the work in. You got to understand how you can provide value. Remember those little details. Remember their kids' names. Remember that big speaking event that's coming yep. up, wish them well when they're getting up on stage. It has to be intentional and it takes work, but with work comes reward. So I I've, love got a, I've got a lot of buddies and uh, those buddies are my acquaintances. You know, the people that I'll go to an event and I'll go, Hey, how you doing? Should we grab a drink in the bar? And I won't see him again for another year or two. Yeah. 
they're not tight friends. They're not heavy relationships. You know, they're, they're, they're ships that pass in the night that every now and then we bumble into when we're at the next, the next event. Um, and they're my buddies. Having a buddy is fine. Not everybody needs to be a, a major relationship, you know, or a friend, you know. And, and again, I divide in the relationships. I divide those into businesses and I divide them into friends and sometimes they cross over. But having your buddies and your friends and having a like if I if I put together a dinner party and I invite my friends, maybe there's 20 people there. But if I'm throwing a party in a club and I invite my buddies, hey, maybe I've got 500 people there. Yeah. But I knew that if I had a club party and I tried to invite my friends, we'd, we'd be in the VIP lounge and we wouldn't come out of that because there wouldn't be enough of us. So you've really got to get selfish with what you're putting in your energy into. Yeah, it's important. You can only have so many friends at the end of the Correct. day that actually tending that relationship and putting the work into. So you have to be absolutely ruthless with what what relationships do meet that mark. So good, good distinction. And your mantra, go for stupid, is all about diving in deep, pushing boundaries, really going for the best in life. But I'm also curious, how do you strike a balance between achieving these grand visions? And also maintaining personal well-being and, and sanity. So I have always said that I work, most of my business is a Trojan horse. You know, you you want to hang out with Elton John, great. I actually don't want to. You know, <laughs> I, I don't care about any of those things. Um, but if I can get you to do it, then I get your attention. And I get to have a meal with you. So I would get you to do this fantastical thing over here. But my focus will be on having a meal with you three days later to ask you how you value investing, how you recruit people, how you look at that. And I'm only going to be asking you those questions if it can benefit my life, which in turn benefits my family. So if I ever get to a point, and I, I pray this never happens, but if I ever get to a point where there is no one in the world that I can ask a question to that's going to impact my life or me to be able to pass on to impact others, then that'll be the last conversation I ever have. Mm -hmm. So I really focus on always asking myself, again, it's down to this selfish thing, which I actually install, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just getting over a bad cough, but there you go. I really focus on being selfish. Um, you know, that doesn't mean I'm being rude. It means I'm only going to inject my time and energy into those that it can benefit and that they will actually use. And we all know about, you know, our cousins or our buddies at a party where we've tried to help them with marketing knowledge or branding knowledge or how to do this. And we've even given them a connection. And then we find them up six months later. How are you doing with it? Oh, I didn't, I didn't phone him. You know, I, I was busy. You know, that kind of shit. So yeah. I'm very selfish on how I actually distribute my time and effort and energy. And I want to make sure that it works. But first of all, I've got to make sure that whatever's going to come out of it is going to work for me. So everything I do, whether I get on a stage, whether I go to a party, th those are really big because as an introvert, I hate going to networking events. You know, yeah. Or I'm going to a trade show or anything like that. I always ask myself, what's the point? Now, once I can clarify what the point is, okay, I'll go for it. I had a speaking gig that was offered to me. Um, I think this was about three years ago in Paris. And... Um, I was like, okay, who's who's the clientele? You know, who's your attendings? And it was a corporate event. And I was like, well, okay, then, you know, uh, are these the best people in your company? No, anyone can come. 
So there's a lot of people that are really just trying to get off of work and go to your corporate event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're just going. And you think to yourself, it's going to be a bunch of people that really just want the free buffet and go and play around a golf globally. You know, they're, they're not really interested in what you've got to say. And I realized there was no point in me going. Yes, I was going to get paid. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm expensive. Um, but I would have had to have flown from Los Angeles to Paris to have spent, you know, what with all the travelers, you, you've gone out of your day, like four days. Um, one day of it each way is just freaking traveling. Um, hanging around with a bunch of guys that really don't relate to, talking about something that they're not really listening to because they just want to go to the free parties. I thought to myself, this is not my event. There was no point in it. So I turned around and I didn't want to go, no, nah, I don't want to do your event because that would have sounded rude. So I turned around and I increased my rate by three times. Yeah. thinking that'll do it. They'll go, well, no, that's not really our budget. And I'll go, hey, that's fine. That's great. And maybe I could recommend. They bloody accepted it. Yeah. <laughs> now you're like, shoot. And I was, I was like, crap. And I never, ever want to be a prostitute. I never want to just do stuff for the money. Yeah. So I was like, oh, shit. And I said to Claire, I said, I I, I gambled. And I, I, I traveled my, my rate. And they said, yes. And she said, we need the bathrooms done. I went, this will pay for the bathrooms. So all of a sudden, I was now engaged going, hang on. I go along to Paris. I talk for an hour, shake a couple of hands, and all my bathrooms are done. you got to work out what's the point. Don't move without purpose. I love that. And so, I mean, traveling the world, getting on big stages, I imagine you work a lot. What does an intentional day off look like for Steve Sims? Oh, do, do you know, I love the way you say intentional. Um, because I don't like to waste it. I remember, uh, and I, I know some very, very powerful people. Um, we all want to know what you're doing, what you're working on, what's your impact. You know, there may be, there may be a time when you go, Hey, I am going to go and sit down and watch a nice movie with my wife on a Sunday afternoon and take those two hours for me. Okay. That's intentional. That's not a waste. That's intentional. In the morning, I may have cleaned up the garage. I may have walked the dogs. I may have relayed out the toolkit so I can get to my tools easier for working on my motorbikes. But I love to be able to count the days. One of the things I do uh, I do, do is at the end of every week, uh, five o'clock in the evening, I pour myself an old-fashioned. I've been doing this for absolutely years. And I will literally walk around my rear garden with my drink before I drink it. And I will look at that drink and I will say these words audibly so I can hear them, not in my head. I'll look at that drink and I'll go, did I earn that this week? Every single Friday, did I earn that? You know, and I remember one week I'd been messing around with stuff that like entrepreneurs, sometimes we, we it's like the dog chasing the car. What happens when you, when it reaches the car, you know? I had been working on a couple of things that were ego plays and work and it didn't work. And I realized I'd wasted an entire week, an entire week. And the juice wasn't, wasn't going to be worth the squeeze regardless, not financially, not media. It was a complete waste of a week when I really analyzed it. So I poured the drink away that mm. Friday night. I did not get known. Here's the funny thing. I'd had drinks during the week, but that Friday, Friday night, when I asked myself that question, I went, no, I didn't tipped it away and I went back indoors. So I always look to make sure that every day matters. We don't know if we're dead tomorrow. We don't know. It's a gift. You know, it's a present. We have no idea that tomorrow is guaranteed. 
So I can only make sure that every second, and with you on this podcast, I'm hoping that someone I don't know, someone that I've never met, never spoken to, is listening to this and going, well, hang on a minute. This is a bricklayer from London that's worked with the Vatican, Elon Musk, Elton John. That's great. But more importantly, he's told me to get laughable goals and be in the right room of support and challenge. I'm going to try that. And you've only got to walk, we all know this, 12 inch in a different direction of where you would normally go to end up in a completely different city. So we need to make changes. And I, at this age, want people to make changes. So hopefully before I end up pushing up the daisies, I've changed the world's trajectory to fill it with more people that are daring to do something with impact. Mm, that's purpose. That's a purposeful life right there. And I know because I'm listening, you've, you've had that impact on me. And I think that's a great place for us to segue here. And I, I queued this up before we started. So I have a choose your own adventure question for you. Ooh. You can you can pick which one you'd like to answer or, or both if you so desire. But okay. number one would be, what's a favorite place that you visited in your life? A, a trip that you went on, maybe solo, maybe with your wife, family, friends. Or number two, just what what is an adventure that is so memorable, an amazing story that you love to tell. And in either case, what was it like? What made it so memorable? Maybe a lesson you learned, a funny story. Give it to us. I would I would probably say it's the Florence yeah. uh, event. For that reason, I go back to Florence uh, quite often because being a bricklayer from London, opera was never in my world. Mm -hmm. And so meeting the, the, the main, you know, tenor of the planet, you know, Andrea Bocelli, and now, now we have a relationship. Now we communicate. Now we do stuff together. And now I'm in a museum, you know, a British bricklayer. I wasn't hanging around in museums. So I was in a location that I had no relatability to. It wasn't something was just a naturally assumed I would ever kind of hang out in. And now when I took my parents back, to, I took my parents to Florence. They'd never been to Florence. So I took them to Florence uh, this year, actually, 23. And I was able to go, oh, yeah, they're there. And we sat there and we had the piano over there. And, we, and there's like, you know, 500 people in the ground floor of the Academia de Galleria looking up at uh, Michelangelo's David. And I'm thinking where, where the girl was stood offering the champagne as, as the client came in. Um, and it was just funny to see things from a different world in a different world, in a different language, and understanding that the ability to dare to ask just transcends any language or culture. And if you can really show up with value and understand how to communicate, you really can achieve anything. Showing up with value and not just being brave enough to ask, but asking for the main thing, the top thing, not the feasible thing. Those cool. are great pieces of advice. So is there anything else to, to business owners specifically, aspiring entrepreneurs who, who are looking to build their business around the lifestyle that they truly want? Is there any other piece of advice that you'd give them to start today? Yeah, check your circle. That was one of the first things that I needed to notice. I, I would go into my pub and I'd hang around with my pub and I'd be like, boys, you know, we, we're working hard and we, we've got enough money for like three beers. You know, really, is this it? And I'd have a couple of the boys go, well, what do you expect? And I suddenly realized I was in the wrong room. Yeah. I was in a room full of broke ass bikers. And therefore, what would I always be? 
So you've really got to look at your room. Just because you know someone and you've known them forever, uh, if they're not supporting and challenging you, and I'm not looking for cheerleaders. Cheerleaders look great in a skirt. Outside of that, they're a waste of time. I'm not looking for someone to go, oh, yeah, you could be great. Screw that. Don't really care. I want someone to go, well, why you, Steve? I want someone to challenge me. You know, is that really the best you can do? Is that the best you can push? I was expecting more from you. And then those to support to go, hey, I may not know much about your project that you're getting involved in, but I know Billy, or I heard this podcast, or I've heard about this book. You know, offering that kind of support, you don't have to be an expert to support someone. So really look at your coffee table. Look at the people you hang out with. Is your circle a supportive, challenging circle? If not, change it. Get selfish. Stop wasting your time with people that aren't there for you. Get out and make sure your circle's good. Because alone, you can win a fight or two. But with the right team around you, you've now got an army and you can win a fucking war. Anything's possible. Anything. Brilliant. Steve, where's like the single best place for people to support you, connect with you online, websites, socials, things like that? So I'm Steve D. Sims, D for dashing, and there's only one M in Sims. I'm Steve D. Sims absolutely everywhere, YouTube, Twitter, threads, whatever it's freaking called now. Um, I'm on Instagram, probably where I'm most active. You can message me on, on Instagram. You can visit stevedsims.com, learn about Sims Distillery, or go for stupid.com, get my free 12-chapter video book, Dare to Do Something Crazy. Mm, I love it. We'll drop the links in the show notes to make it easy for everyone. And I know goforstupid.com is the first place I'm heading. So Thank you, my man. This has been value packed and I appreciate your time. Thank you, pal. To all of our adventurous listeners, thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Please be sure to subscribe, download, and share this on social media or with someone you know will get some value from it. Leaving a review goes a long way in helping people find the show. And I personally appreciate reading them when they come in. So please go drop one if you have the time. We'll see you all next week. And remember, whether we're talking about business or the things that bring us joy outside of work, life is meant for exploring. So go out there and live it one adventure at a time.